Did you ever think you would make it? I feel I'm supposed to take sweet victory. I know this life meant for me. Yeah, why would you bet on Goliath when we got bet David? Value payment, giving value's contagious. This world of entrepreneurs, we get no value to hate it. Now they run, homie, look what I become. I'm the, I'm the one. All right, our guest today with all the mess that's going on, specifically a question we asked this morning on the podcast with Charlie Kirk is, how is it possible that the supposedly the best intelligence in the world did not know that Hamas was training for a year, preparing their soldiers who had no clue who they were going to attack on a city they built that matched the city like the one once in Israel, and then all of a sudden Egypt says there may be an attack and you don't do anything? And you mean to tell us we have to believe the fact that you don't know this was happening? It's kind of a tough question for some of us that we're asking. So today's guest, perfect timing, Mike Baker, worked in the CIA for 17 years as a covert field operations officer, specializing in counterterrorism, counter-narcotics. He's drinking a drink right now. That may be drinking. That's <laughs> knows. Counterinsurgency operations, engaged in organized and supervised operations around the globe, working in Asia, Middle East, Africa, Europe, and the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, and elsewhere. And he hosts the President's Daily Brief, a daily podcast that's available on Spotify, iTunes, and the first TV. We're going to put the link below as well. Mike, it's good to have you on again. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Man. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully, the uh, uh, we were hoping the occasion will be different. But all yeah. the mess that's going on around the world, it's kind of crazy. It's wild. But uh, for you, uh, Mike, with, with your background, brother, with you worked intelligence. You're in it 17 years. Historically, I've interviewed the former director, one of the former directors of Mossad, and you talk to them the level of pride they have at how great they are. Yeah. How do they not know the fact that an attack is about to be made like this and, you know, 1,500 people die, you know, deaths later? How do you not know this was happening? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, they are excellent, right? I mean, so, but the the bottom line is this was essentially, when people say, look, this was their 9-11, what they're referring to is, you know, sort of the shock of the event and the impact on the nation. But really, when I say it was like their 9-11, what I mean is it was the same type of intelligence failure. So I think what they're finding out now and what they'll find out in further hot wash on this whole thing is that, yeah, they were close. There were, there were indicators. There were bits and pieces of intelligence. Um, there were, again, the, I'm not sure how to read the Egyptian intel chief's comments, um, you know, I think we need to hear more from from him, uh, from them, in terms of the specifics about what they were what they were talking about that they said they warned some week and a half before this. But the bottom line is, we had a problem with nine eleven, as most people know at this point in time. We were getting small data points; we were getting little bits of intelligence. And yet the problem was our state, our local, federal, the intel community, everybody was siloed. So you weren't compiling all that data and and making sense of it. You were having a, a, a credit card purchase in Saudi, and you were having another event here in the U.S., you were, and, and we weren't dialing all that together, right? And so the holy grail after 9-11 became, well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you take all these disparate pieces of intelligence that are coming from a variety of different uh, means and suddenly focus in on a bigger picture and understand what it all means? Now, we, we thought we were getting there, but the problem is that it's a, it's a human endeavor, and so what I would argue is that uh, we're going to find that the Mossad, Shin Bet, the, the IDF, uh, border security, everybody, they were picking up little pieces, right? But for the same problem, which is shit's going to happen occasionally. You're never going to get it down to a zero-sum game. It's a very unsatisfactory answer, I suspect, but it's, it's the honest to God's truth. So 
they're going to have to go through the sort of the same heart-wrenching realization at some point that they they probably could have uh, prevented this. And Mike, uh, Mike, and Mike, what about the two-hour, uh, I'm sorry, the three-hour to six-hour response once it happened? Like, once it happened, it was just a You mean the stand-down? Like well, stand-down, Mikey, yeah. but, but what I'm saying is, yeah, more, more along the lines of, since you know, pride and all that aside, just their presence, you it just kept happening, kept happening. Hours they even kidnapped people and brought them back to the strip. It's like, wh- how do they how do they drop that ball? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, you have to understand how long this was in in the planning stages for, right? And it was in the planning stages, and it was it was a very uh, tight operation in the sense of need to know, right? So, uh, you know, not to disappear down too many rabbit holes on this one, but there's, but there's a lot of layers here. The New York Times came out and in, in some sort of bizarre statement uh, said, well, according to some sources, and then, you know, not identified, uh, Iranian officials were surprised by this because there is this gyration right now. You know, oh, my God, how can we avoid saying Iran? How can we not say that the Iranian regime is, is essentially responsible for all of this? Because without them, you know, Hamas is irrelevant, right? They, they wouldn't exist in, in, in the way that they do. So the idea that the Iranian officials were caught up surprise, well, no, no, no shit, because, you know, at the end of the day, this was need to know. You, you had some IRGC, some Revolutionary Guard uh, personnel responsible for liaison with Hamas. Um, they probably actually, you know, pass that responsibility on to others because, you know, again, realizing they wanted to keep this close hold. So there were very few people in on this. There were, I suspect there were a... Very few number of, of officials within or uh, leaders within the uh, the brigade, the uh, armed element of Hamas, who also understood what was going on and had the big picture. So they were very smart. They probably dumbed down their communications significantly to prevent any sort of uh, signals intercepts. Um, and it again, I it, it's not satisfactory. But having worked in in uh, operations for a long time, this this. Things happen, and, let you, me go, ask, and let you say, "How do I, how did I miss that?" So let me ask a question this way: So if you're U.S. and and we also have one of the best uh, intelligence out there, CIA, I like to think so. Do you <laughs> think we have agents? Do we have agents in Israel? Do we have agents in you know all over the Middle East? Do we have agents that gather intel to bring it back to us? Because this is also problematic for us. It's right? very it's very problematic for us. Yeah. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, look, uh, Israel treats uh, intel kind of the way they treat uh, the military operations, right, which is they're, they're the pride and we're going to do it ourselves. You know what? We'll take care of ourselves. But we have a very tight intel relationship regardless. Um, having said that, we also depend heavily on them for their um, for their human, right, frankly. And, um, what was that word? Uh, human intelligence. Okay, so, gotcha, human. Yeah. So uh, they're, they're extremely careful. I think one of the surprises for me from the question of how did, how did we miss this it's not so much the we missed technical collection, right? Although that is also concerning, but it's the it's the source reporting, right? It's the human, um, because you know I would like to have thought that they had uh, a larger uh, network of sources within Gaza, and that at some point somebody would have picked up on this. But again, what that points to is just how close held this operation was, and. Uh, the fact that they were able to maintain that secrecy over the amount of time it would have taken to plan this, they had to do re- uh, recce, they had to do or, uh, surveillance, reconnaissance on on uh, 
their uh, eventual targets, right? They didn't just like stream out and happen upon a, a, a kibbutzim or a village or something. They, so they knew what they were doing. They had to stockpile weapons. They had to go through training, right? They had to train the, the personnel that were going to be involved in this attack. Um, so it was, it was a remarkable, uh, in a sense, uh, ability of Hamas to do this. But then again, They've been at it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, man, I, I still have a hard time hearing, believing that because for me, you got a blockade in, in Gaza, air, water. I mean, in every possible way, they got a blockade. So that means you have people on the inside that you can see what's going on from top. You can have, you know, drones. You can have so many different ways to see what they're working on. What, you know, what, why are... Why are 28 guys here running into the house and coming out, running into the house and coming out, and running into the house and coming out? What are they doing there? Who's in that house? I mean, but, but Pat, you know, I mean, they've got maybe 300 miles of, of underground tunnels, right? So it's it's like Minnesota during or Minneapolis during the cold months, right? You you never have to go outside. You're always walking through the skywalks. The the tunnel system that they've built over all these years, and and. Yes, you know, uh, Israel's got, you know, uh, ground-penetrating radar, and they've got surveillance capabilities and all the rest of it, but um, it, it, it's remarkable. They had, and they hadn't been inside Gaza for, what, nine years? Yeah, since yeah. the disengagement in yeah. uh, 05, longer than that. So, yeah, you know, 17 years. Uh, By the way, have you seen the videos of what those tunnels look like in Hamas? No. There's, there's plenty of videos inside the Hamas tunnels that they have if you if you rob if you find one of the clips like this one here shows yeah. you know inside Gaza's uh, underground tunnel there's plenty Wall Street Journal has it mm-hmm. uh, what they've built over the years it it gives it gives insight on what uh, is that one of them if you just tap in inside Gaza tunnel see if on Twitter anything comes up that's Gaza tunnel go ahead Adam while you're pulling that up Rob mm. uh, just to be clear CIA intelligence uh, you know there's conversations out there. That somehow they turned a blind eye to this, mm. uh, the IDF, Mossad, Netanyahu, like, you know what, like almost kind of like the 9-11 stories, like, look, you know, they turned a blind eye to it, there was fair warning, and, mm. you know, mm. there was, whether it's the big oil or military industrial complex, they kind of, you know, there was some, well, look at the other way, and because there's going to be enrichment on the other side of this. Mm. From a CIA perspective, what's the likelihood that Netanyahu, Mossad, IDF sort of was like, yeah, we'll let them attack. We'll let this kind of slide. Maybe it got a little bit more out of hand than we suspected. Mm. But now we sort of have a green light to full attack. What's the likelihood that they sort of co-signed this? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get, you know, I'm not a buyer on, on things like that, right? Yeah. Um, it's because in part because Israel knows exactly where this is going, right? It, 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 part of the depression or the depressing part about the Middle East is how consistent it, the, it, it always plays out. Mm-hmm. So they know or they knew no matter how horrific the Hamas's attacks were and the brutality that was displayed, they knew that as soon as you started getting a body count in, in Gaza, that the whole narrative, social media narrative, you know, the, the, the mainstream media narrative was going to start focusing on that. Right. I mean, we, the, the, the lack of, of, of interest in, from a, a segment of society who just willing to set aside the, the brutality of those attacks and say, well, geez, look at the, you know, you know, look at the rising casualties in Gaza, you know, and, and as if they're trying to, you know, create some sort of equivalence here. Yeah. Um, 
and and the and and then also the bottom line is Hamas doesn't give a shit about dead Palestinians. They don't. I mean, that's that's what, the point of what they do. What does that mean exactly? Because well, there's sort of this equivocation of like, you know, Gaza is Hamas and Gaza is a Palestinian in yeah. Palestine, and they're living in this open air prison, and then Hamas is just you know they're fi- they're freedom fighters. Yeah. From a CIA perspective, Hamas is Hezbollah. They're ISIS. Are they full on what they are perceived to be, which is a Islamic terrorist group? Well, they're they're uh, useful, very useful proxies. That they're basically what Iran has done is is surround you know to a significant degree Israel with a couple of terrorist armies. Okay. Right? And but what I mean by Hamas not caring about casualties. That's their currency. That's their leverage, right? They've got Hamas has an extremely sophisticated public relations element, right? Most of them sitting comfortably over in gutter. So, but they know, and 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 part of it is their their willingness over the years to do exactly what they know is always going to result in dead ca- casual or dead civilians, embedding themselves, you know, uh, putting their stockpiles uh, adjacent to or within civilian infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, their, their military command centers, you know, their, their personnel, they, they know what they're doing, right? And so they understand that as soon as you start getting civilian casualties, the world is going to turn, right? And it's going to, it's going to force an issue. And sure enough, now... There is as much, or probably more, talk um, about that than about the, you know, the the reason why this is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so I would argue civilians. I mean, Palestinian civilians, if they die, they're victims of Hamas as well, right? Yeah, it was an explosion. It was a rocket that came in from Israel. But the reason you're having this mm-hmm. is is because of of Hamas. So why did they? I think that's just again, no. Why why did they vote for Hamas? Meaning. They have. I don't know their election system in in Gaza or the West Bank and Palestine, yeah. but it used to be the PLO under Yasser Arafat and then uh, you know, Palestinian Liberation uh, Organization. But they voted for Hamas in 07, mm-hmm. and they still run Gaza. I don't know how these elections work, but why do they vote for Hamas versus another option? Was it Fatah or other mm-hmm. options that yeah. that maybe would serve the people better than a militant terrorist group. I again, that's way outside my pay grade. I have no idea, but I would argue that there are a lot of of, of citizens or residents of Gaza who aren't affiliated or associated with uh, Hamas, right? I mean, look, it's shitty living, right? It's it's awful. Fifty right? percent unemployment. I mean, yeah, it's just it's horrible. It's only going to get worse. You point. It's going to get worse. Yeah. No yeah. question about it. And by the way, I got a, uh, we have a yeah. friend right now in Israel. Uh, who's there as we speak, uh, Jason Lyons, Jewish Republican liaison, former chairman of the United States Israel Security Alliance, and has a degree diploma from Harvard Business School and Negotiation Mastery. Jason, can you hear us? Patrick, how are you? Thank you. I hope you can see me and hear me with the old city in Jerusalem in the background. I can. I can. So how are things there? If you were to Give us a, a, a understanding or what the feelings like when you're talking to people. How are things right now in Jerusalem? I would say I would equate it as Floridians as the calm before the storm. We know a, cur- uh, a hurricane five is coming. Uh, the most beautiful weather is usually a few hours before the hurricane hits. I would assume that within the next coming days, the world will see an incursion like nothing they've seen before. There is no one in the world that has actually ever seen the might of the Israeli army. Uh, They've been very meticulous 
precision-like in dealing with terrorists, specifically Hamas, over the last 30 years. And they have done everything they could possibly do to avoid collateral damage. Uh, sadly, there will be collateral damage. The biggest challenge we have right now is there's approximately 150 hostages, many nationals from foreign countries. We have a number of diplomats here. I am meeting later on this evening, very late, possibly early this morning, with Representative Mills, who uh, set this up, came out here to try to do some negotiations. I don't want to go into all the details. The Secretary of State is right next door to me. Uh, I'm at the King David Hotel. He's uh, literally next door. Uh, and uh, I want to first of all thank Senator Rick Scott, uh, who has uh, been in touch with me hourly over the last week since the war broke out. What else can I answer for you, Patrick? You know, you hear messages about the, the left and the right in Israel. The left is like, hey, why don't we uh, negotiate and, you know, let's let's figure out a way to make this work. And, you know, these guys are saying every time you bomb us, you know, we're going to be, you know, showcasing and taking out uh, one of the hostages. And the right is saying, no, we cannot negotiate with terrorists. That's what the media is saying. Are you feeling a more of a unified group going up against Hamas, or is there some sort, some level of a division between the people in Israel? Well, I think you know, in the past, uh, the Israelis have traded a thousand for one. Uh, you know, in baseball, that's probably the equivalent of a player to be named later. Uh, it, it, the horrible trade. Uh, they did it for Shalit many years ago. Um, you know, now you have probably a tremendous amount of pressure coming from the Americans, the Germans, Australians. They all have hostages there. You know, they, they, they don't want to be part of this. So Netanyahu is walking a very fine line right now. And uh, President Biden, who I thought spoke uh, quite well the other day, you know, let's see where the action is. But I, you know, I don't like to unnecessarily throw people under the bus, even though his relationship with Israel to date hasn't been great. But he did give a very strong speech the other day. And uh, I think for the most part, Israelis have had enough. Uh, I was at the base probably closest to Gaza two days ago. I was with the major general. He pulled me aside because he didn't want his soldiers hearing what he was telling me. But he tried to describe to me the catastrophic things that he personally witnessed over the last 48 hours, seeing not just children, babies, heads, uh, decapitated, little girls with blood all over them, women that had been raped and left for dead. These are things that you only see in the movies, and they get a very lousy rating, like uh, a rated R rating because of the violence. I mean, we have never seen, other than maybe some of the things that ISIS have done, the barbaric actions of uh, animals. I can't even call them human beings. I mean, who burns babies to try to make a point? And I think one of your guests on the show, uh, as I was logging on, mentioned about the vote. 
There's no vote. Hamas hands uh, you a ballot, and there's a machine gun pointed to your head. Uh, this is who you need to vote for. So it's a complete sham of a vote. Uh, these are the worst people in the world, and they need to be uh, completely eradicated. Uh, because of the hostages, it's complicated right now. And I think the reason why the Israelis haven't gone in yet is because they're trying to do everything they can to secure the release of these hostages. And the United States, who's now sent a second aircraft carrier, is making sure that the Americans uh, get out as well. So that's the situation right now, the left and the right. Uh, there's nothing that unifies this country more than a common enemy. And that's what you have right now. And Hamas, as terrible as the things they've done over the last four days, uh, they were able to do something that no politician has been able to do over the last 70 years in this country. Unite them. So uh, kudos to Hamas for waking up the sleeping giants. Jason, uh, this is Adam. Thank you for your perspective. Um, you talk about the calm before the storm, uh, where the IDF is getting ready to attack, I presume, and go full force. You talked about the barbaric nature and the barbarism of Hamas. Um, what can the people that are not familiar with how IDF operates learn? Meaning, allegedly they sent 3,000 texts to um, Palestinian citizens urging them to leave. They've dropped leaflets. They've dropped food before. They do what is called, uh, I believe, roof knocks. That's saying, hey, you've got five minutes to vacate the building because we've identified this building as a place that a missile came from. So meaning they're trying to limit civilian casualties, uh, whereas obviously Hamas is, will, will gladly rape and pillage whoever they come across. What should the world know about how the IDF is operating to save civilian lives? Well, you know, I think you're going to see a new playbook, and I think a lot of Palestinians are going to get killed. There's nowhere to go. Um, it's a little unfair uh, you have an ocean on one side, a sea. You have Egypt, which was letting it at the most 2,000 a day. Uh, and then, of course, to the north, you have the Israelis. Uh, there's nowhere for the Palestinians to go. This is a horrible situation. Uh, one of your guests eloquently put this, that Hamas put the Palestinians in this pigeonhole right now. This is a terrible situation, but they crossed the line. And as I mentioned before, precision went into all of the killings of Hamas leadership over the last 20 years. And I'm afraid that precision is going to wane over the next couple of days. And the collateral damage will be heavy. And another one of your uh, podcast members, I think, also mentioned something to the effect that, uh, you know, what can they do about it? Well, I think the Israelis value life as much as any nation in the world. And I still believe, even though there will be some collateral damage, the Israelis will do everything possible to minimize the collateral damage. Quick follow-up. You, you sort of said that, that you might want to start Buckle up, brace for impact, because civilian casualties uh, might be possible, uh, maybe even unavoidable. Um, you know, there's winning the actual war, then there's winning the PR war. 
Um, yeah. Mike Baker mentioned how good the Hamas is at PR and and uh, putting spreading their their uh, basically lies. From a PR perspective, why would Israel want to kill civilian lives, even if it's unavoidable? They don't want to. The problem is, is they're all entangled with each other. I mean, up until four days ago, they were using the Palestinians as human shields. That means that they're shooting thousands of missiles, and the Israelis know where the missiles are coming from. So the reason why the Israelis don't take out those installation systems is because they're surrounded by Palestinians. Now, they upped the game. They took 150 Israelis slash semi-Israelis, and they've put them in those places. So now you got to think twice before you take out these rockets, and that's the quandary that they're in right now. Mike, Vinny, any questions? You guys good? Yeah. What have you heard? Uh, it's, it's Mike Baker, uh, Jason. What, what have you heard about... Egypt's willingness, perhaps, to allow Palestinian refugees to cross into uh, Egypt? The numbers were low uh, that I heard. Uh, it's possible that CC will get enormous pressure from the United States. Uh, he might get uh, a boatload of buddy for accepting them. That's something that's, you know, there's back channelings right now that are going on with the Egyptians for that very reason. There's a lot of back-channeling going on with the Qataris right now. You know, they spent $200 billion on the World Cup, mm -hmm. and that money could go up for smoke real fast if uh, they don't play ball with the United States. Uh, the United States has a relationship with Qatar, uh, but it's uh, one of these mutual beneficial relationships. We have a base there, and uh, we tend to look the other way. It's hard to look the other way when the leader of Hamas is living in a palace and has refuge in that country. And I have a very good relationship with the royal family over there. And uh, they're not happy about the situation either. Uh, but things are, let's say, in the works of trying to do something to uh, alleviate their pressures. Uh, and Jason, this is Vincent. Uh, God bless you and I hope everything is, uh, you stay safe and everything goes good over there while you're there. Um, a couple of days ago, the ex-head of uh, Hamas, Khalid Mashal, called for tomorrow, for Friday the 13th, to be an international, basically, a day of terrorism. How, how much do you think that we should heed to his warning, and what is the security apparatus on high alert where you are? Because, you know, obviously, it, you know, it was caught, you know, with its pants down, necessarily. But how, how do you think, how serious is this warning from, from Khalid Mashal? You know, I think anybody that kills babies and throws them in fires, I would take their threats fairly seriously. Whether or not the Israeli Arabs, you know, I am in a hotel right now, which has hosted probably every president since Lyndon Johnson. Um, and there are probably 30 or 40 Arab Israelis that are working here. And don't think for a moment that the guests here at this hotel weren't thinking what are the possibilities that these guys will take a kitchen knife, you know, and run through the dining room. Uh, we just heard that in the old city, which is right behind me, uh, two people were shot today. So, yes, there is a risk. Um, I would say Jerusalem is probably the least risky. Uh, we did go to a number of places in Israel today that uh, I would say is a little bit more concerning. Uh, the answer is I don't want to dare the terrorists by telling you that I'm not concerned about it. So I'm going to say that I'm hopeful that uh, tomorrow will be peaceful. 
Uh, I plan on staying here in Jerusalem. Uh, we do have added security here. I have a personal detail myself. Um, you know, I have kids. So I have a wife. I have parents. They're concerned. Uh, I will tell you that as a uh, Jewish American, when I was a young boy, my mother used to tell me that every Jew needs a passport in case one day they have to run to Israel. This is the first time in my 55 years where I have actually seen people trying to get passports to run away from Israel. It's a very sad day for the Jewish people. A lot of us have family members that were in the Holocaust. My mother-in-law was born in a DP camp. My wife lost grandparents from both sides and five children and had to start over again. And my wife's grandmother has numbers on her arm. She was in Auschwitz. So, you know, this is a very scary time. And uh, somebody mentions about proxies, whether it was Iran with Hezbollah and so on and so forth. Uh, Iran is a wonderful country. The people of Iran are as good as they come. I know Patrick is from there. And uh, if Patrick was an American citizen, I think he could be president of the United States one day. We've spoken about that. And I think these are bad apple regimes. These are not bad people. There's the Palestinian people, for the most part, are good people. I get a little slack sometimes when I say that to my Jewish friends. But the fact is, is that they're pigeonholed right now. They don't want to be there any more than anybody else. So let's hope for the best. I hope the world understands one of your guests was uh, made a brilliant observation that in a couple days, you're going to see headlines like 25,000 Palestinians died and 2,000 Israelis died. And people are going to start doing the math and say, well, that doesn't sound right. But unfortunately, in about a week or two, I'm predicting that the world will forget how this started and it will go back to the basics of it was the Israelis apartheid state, so on and so forth. And I hope at least this time with these children that were slaughtered, these women that were raped, these daughters and sons. I was telling Patrick before that I had just left the house of two parents who lost their son last night. Uh, you know, they said goodbye to him last night, and, and that's it. And the funeral was probably going to be a few hours later. But I hope the world uh, remembers how this began, because it is going to end uh, with the full might of the IDF. And in a couple of weeks, people are going to forget, and they're going to say, oh, the IDF just railroaded these people and hosed them down. But try to remember, if you can, how this all started. Jason, this is Adam again. One more question for you. Um, Jewish American as well. Um, I love America. Um, I, I, I love Israel as well. I was just there three months ago. I took my mother for the first time in 30 years. She used to live on a kibbutz. She did not recognize the country because she's like, oh, my God, it's like the economic growth is, has been incredible. Um, my question is about uh, Bibi Netanyahu. Uh, when I was there, I saw the protest, everything that's going on in the Knesset, the parliament, the Supreme Court, you know, uh, Tel Aviv, super liberal. It was right after their Pride Week. Obviously, Jerusalem, traditional conservative. The political upheaval is 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 tangible there. You, you, you could feel it. So 
What's the future of BB? Is is he? Um, what do the people feel about him? Uh, there, you know, there's conversations that he's sort of turned a blind eye to kind of allow this to happen, so he can sort of gain more power and have more excuses to do anything like this. From your perspective, the, he's the longest-running uh, prime minister in Israeli history. I think this is like his fifth term in 16 years. What's the future of Bibi? I would never bet Bibi Netanyahu out. You know, let's go through his history. His uh, brother was a decorated soldier. He lost his life at Entebbe. It was a mission that he ran. Uh, he was the only person that was killed in that mission. It was one of the most heroic events ever in the history of this country. Um, you know, whether or not he got a head start because of the name recognition, uh, he's a brilliant person, Bibi. Uh, MIT, he was uh, United Nations ambassador. Uh, he won an election against uh, Perez. Um, and, you know, I offered him a job once as a, uh, a headhunter many years ago. He was out of work for a while. We met in the uh, David Citadel. And uh, I remember he told me that uh, the winds can change very quickly in Israel. And that's been his career. His career has uh, had some ups and downs. But uh, you're 100% correct. He's the longest standing prime minister. He just passed his 16th year, uh, which is, uh, I believe, three more years than any other prime minister since 1948. And Bibi is in a quandary right now. You know, they're trying to go after him trying to indict him, whether or not you believe the indictments are real or bogus, he has had no choice because he himself is pigeonholed to try to change the Supreme Court ruling. Um, so that has caused problems. It's caused a lot of issues with venture capital money that would flow into Israel as well. Uh, the liberals are not too happy about it, and there was a tremendous amount of division in this country up until the war started uh, a couple days ago. Um, my guess is is that, you know, is he completely responsible for one piece of offense around the entire country that was breached? I mean, that's how they got in. Um, at the end of the day, yeah, I guess the buck stops with the CEO of the company, but there were probably several people between uh, the foot soldier and the commander in chief that dropped the ball on this particular one. I think over time, you know, there will be investigations how this happened. Uh, the Israelis are embarrassed uh, the same way the United States was embarrassed in September 11th. Uh, you know, how did that happen? But we tend to rally around our leaders during wartime. And Bibi is a survivor. Uh, he's lost family members in war. And I think he's earned a certain amount of respect, similar to a Gold Star family. And uh, my prediction is, is that he'll be okay in the end. And I think the Israelis will rally around him. I'm happy that they were able to do this unity government in the 11th hour. And when Israelis unite, they're extremely powerful. So that's what Hamas is going to be up against, the united Israel over the next couple of months. And uh, I, I think when this is over, 
you'll have a similar outcome to ISIS where they will totally wipe out. Uh, you know, you'll be able to Google Hamas and it just won't exist anymore. It'll say something like a former terrorist organization. Hmm. And uh, the hopeful outcome that will come out of this. Jason, uh, appreciate your time. Be safe. And I will uh, reach out to you after this podcast over with. Again, thank you for your time. Patrick, thank you as well. Be safe, my friends. Yes, sir. Take care. Thank you. He's in the thick of it. He, he's in it. He uh, he's in, in it right now. It. Mike, what do you yeah. what, what did you think about what he said? <clears throat> well, first thing is, is and this is going to sound really cynical, um, and we've we've heard this from others. They're going to smash Hamas. They're going to destroy it. They're going to annihilate it. Look, I spent a lot of time in counterterrorist <laughs> operations, and that's not how it works. You know, it's not a, again, it's not a zero sum game. So you can degrade and you can mitigate risk and you can you know remove certain targets, but. There are some underlying issues here that creates this bottomless well of potential new recruits, right? And it's just, uh, you know, I worry sometimes when they say, okay, our, our, you know, Netanyahu said it again today. We're going to crush him. We're going to destroy him. We're going to – it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know. Call me cynical. It's, it's not possible. Why, why not? Uh, look, ISIS still exists, right? I mean, he, he referenced ISIS, say it's going to be just like ISIS. Well, former, I, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, ISIS is still there, right? And they're still and they're they're trying to reconstitute and and um, the 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 we can. I'm not saying you can't do significant damage, right? Uh, part of that is is dependent on how solid your your operational intelligence is and how quickly you can act on that intelligence. So we can do a, a great deal of damage, but. Um, I would argue that if you want to destroy Hamas, you've got to get rid of the Iranian regime. Mm. That's, I mean, that's, that's the it, head of the yeah. snake. And it's not, you know, again, he's absolutely right. But nobody, nobody's, nobody's arguing as Iranian people. It's just like with Xi and, and the communist regime and his, mm. his lockdown on the people. Nobody's arguing about the Chinese people. It's, it, they're, they're fantastic. It's social, cultural, great history. But it's this regime. And the, the, the Iranian regime, as far as, you know, I'm not going to shift off this position. They're responsible, you know, for the vast, you know, uh, majority of funding for Hamas over the years. It's always coming from from Iran. Same with Hezbollah. And they've done it for a reason, because they've they've got this ability now to surround Israel and to look. And and also, look, they Hamas knows Hezbollah knows if there's stability. Right. Like if you got this agreement between the Saudis and Israelis and you got the Gulf states in there and they suddenly and, and, and you get without instability, you know, what is Hamas? Right? What, what, what is Hezbollah? And, you know, frankly, what is the Iranian regime? So but I think you can't take those. You, you can degrade them significantly, but you're not going to you're not going to you're just not going to remove the core problem. Quick follow up to that, because I fully agree. That's where I was going with this. Uh, I respect to Jason, but the whole eliminating Hamas. Uh, I think is uh, a pipe dream, you know, because Hamas spouted from the Muslim Brotherhood, which came from Islamic uh, uh, fundamentalists, and then, you know, Hezbollah. There's a new group will pop up. Mm -hmm. You're not going to, like, if you eliminate Hamas, you're not going to eliminate the ideology or who's funding the ideology, which is is Iran. And look, just to be clear, like, I have, I'm Jewish, I have Arab friends, I have Muslim friends, I have Mm -hmm. Christian friends, like, we do not want war with Islam. Nobody right. does. The West, this is not the Crusades. These are specific sects. So if, if there's, what, 2 billion Muslims in the world, 1.8 billion Muslims. 99%, let's say, let's say they're good. They're, they want no problem with this. Yeah. The problem is, let's say the 1%, 
That's 18 million people so, that are Islamic. Let's just say it's 1%. Mm. By the way, that's, that's more than how many Jews exist in the world, 16 million. So it, it, from a numbers perspective here, if you just take 1% of 2 billion people, you're talking 18, 20 million people that want death, yeah. that want destruction, you're never going to fix it by just eliminating Hamas. Let, let me Hamas. read this. So yeah. Iran's Khamenei hails Hamas, warns retaliation could be greater disaster. This is a Washington Examiner story. Khamenei praised Hamas for inflicting an irreparable defeat on Israel but denied direct responsibility for the attack, warning that Israel's response could lead to a greater disaster. He stated it is unlikely that the unsurping uh, regime will be able to use the help of the West to repair the deep impacts that this incident has left on its ruling structures. Questions regarding Iran's role in the Hamas attack have risen with conflicting reports from Hamas reports. Hamas sources and Western observers emphasizing Iran's general support for the group. Uh, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu has declared an un unprecedented military offensive against Hamas in Gaza and characterized it as a clash of civili civilizations. He called for international support, stating in fighting Hamas, Israel's not only fighting for its own people, it's fighting for every country that stands against barbarism. So he's saying this, Khamenei is saying that. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying, okay, you take out Hamas, so what, as long as Iran's there, Iran's there. So okay. now you got some people that are criticizing because your position sounds like what Nikki Haley said, what uh, Lindsey Graham said, we got to go after Iran, right? We got to go attack Iran. Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, yeah. I mean, Lindsey Graham came out and said, you know, we have to start bombing the oil refineries. And, and yeah, if you, if you engaged in a military conflict, then your logical choices are oil refineries and, and you know, start, you know, busting the, the, uh, their, their nuke facilities um, for their weapons program. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, look, we, we had a maximum... Uh, pressure approach, right? Which it, it's it's a little unsatisfactory, and it never really makes regime change necessarily uh, because they just keep tightening the screws on the on the general population. But I think you, you, we've got to do something other than what has been taking place over the past couple of years, right? Like the the Biden administration was very vocal about it. They coming in, it was a brand new day with Iran. Right. We're getting off that maximum pressure approach. They staffed most of their Iran focused positions, right, from Robert Malley to, to a variety of other uh, desk positions at the Pentagon and, and State Department with people who believe that same thing. Right. Malley has been very disdainful of uh, any sort of maximum pressure approach to Iran and now mysteriously has had his security clearances pulled uh, is on suspension. And, uh, you know, we're not hearing boo about it from from the administration. But that. And, and then there's this idea, look, they're still going through these contortions. Secretary Blinken said it again today. You know, he said, uh, you know, I just have to correct this misperception somehow that, that you know, we've, we've given these uh, $6 billion in, in uh, unfrozen assets and somehow, you know, they're doing everything possible to avoid uh, the obvious, which is without Iran's support, training, technical assistance, uh, Hamas would not have gotten to a position where they could accomplish what they did right to, uh, over the weekend, and so they, you know, they're bending over backwards to avoid. And I get it, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you, nobody wants, as you pointed out, direct military conflict, right, with with Iran. We we would like to find other ways to make this happen, but every time an administration tries to approach and deal with Iran and, and offer, you know, they get kicked in the ass by the Iranian regime. So, so I, at some point. 
what do you do? Well, okay, first of all, you, <laughs> we take away the $6 billion. Sure. That's a, something we can accomplish here in the next 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then we actually get serious again about oil sanctions, uh, and we put the screws down on them. It's the only time, the only time they ever, you know, uh, acquiesce or, or, or start to act as if they're going to do it. It's when you, you've, I hate to say it, but when you've really screwed them down. And otherwise, they're just going to engage in, in this. And, and I'm not saying they drew up the operational plan, mm-hmm. but I guarantee you there were, there were liaison personnel within the IRGC that are assigned to deal with Hamas and Hezbollah who were very aware of all of this. What do they fear? Meaning we, we talk about Iran as if they're untouchable. Meaning you can't go to war with Iran. It's yeah. going to start this. Oh, my God, we, we can't and let them enrich the nuclear weapons because they're going to do this. But we can't pull out of it because it sounds like there's no options. It, it almost sounds yeah. like we, 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 we're in the nuclear deal. We're out of the nuclear deal. John Kerry's going there. Trump pulls out. Like, it sounds like we have no uniformity whatsoever, and they're yeah. almost untouchable. Yeah. So if you're, like, from your perspective or even Pat's perspective so. What do they fear? The, the Ayatollahs, the IRGC that you're talking about, what do they fear the most? Well, I think I'd, I'd, I'd let Pat talk about that, but I would, I would jump in just for a second and say I think they fear the same thing that Xi fears, same thing that Putin fears. They, they fear losing control of the population, right? And, and I, I would argue that there's a sizable part of the population that is, again, not uh, inclined towards the Iranian regime, but have few options. Um, but that's what they fear. They fear losing control. Xi spends, you know, every day trying to figure out how do I, you know, mm-hmm. not have that happen. And there's, there's a, you know, it's it, it's not an insignificant uh, amount of protests that take place inside of China that we never hear about. And and and, and that's their number one fear within the, the CCP is, is, is that. I would argue the same thing with the Iranian regime. They just want power. They want control, you know, and they envision themselves. They, they, they want to be the um, undisputed, undisputed, undisputed uh, I'm talking like President Bush. Um, <laughs> they want to be uh, the undisputed, uh, you know, regional leader. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Saudi has other views on that. Uh, but it is it's incredibly complex. I mean, the, the Iranian, you know, president just, just had a phone call with you know, MBS over in Saudi um, to talk about what's going on in Gaza. And you think, really? Because I'm pretty sure one of your... Objectives here was to you know screw over that potential you know peace treaty with peace Israel treaty with Israel. Yeah. yeah, of course. You're talking about that. This is, this is from Daily Mail. Iran's president, Saudi Crown Prince, hold their first ever phone call. Iranian President Raisi and Sa- uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam Salman engage in their inaugural phone conversation focused on the recent Hamas attack in Israel. Raisi affirmed the need to end war crimes against Palestine. While a Saudi crown prince declared the kingdom is making all efforts possible to stop the ongoing escalation, reiterating Saudi Arabia's stance against targeting civilians in response to Iran's reported support for Hamas, U.S. President Joe Biden issued a stark warning stating, we made it clear to the Iranians, be careful. He disclosed details of a new arms shipment to Israel, including interceptors for the Iron Dome defense system and ammunition for the Israeli Defense force following an attack by Hamas militants that resulted to an over 1,200 casualties. So th- that that phone call looks like Saudi is playing kind of like trying to keep everybody happy with the deal. Hey, we were about to have a deal with Israel. We were about to make them official, but we still can't, you know, lose our relationship with Hamas with, with Palestine. And 
he's trying to, you know, kind of play both sides and I don't know how successful he can be doing that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, that's, that strikes me as a very dangerous game. And I think MBS is a very savvy individual. But, um, you know, he's going to at some point he's going to have to make a decision here. I would argue that, look, Saudi, you know, it legitimately would like to have normalized relations with Israel. Right. It's just going forward. It makes good sense, as would I would say also the the Gulf states, I would think, would feel the same way. But why? Why? Why would Saudi or the Gulf states want to have a normalized relationship with Israel? I, you know what? I think they would put uh, development, economic development, um, stability, which also promotes economic stability, mm-hmm. ahead of, you know, kind of this, this constant regional conflict, yeah. which goes back to the Bronze Age. So... Uh, yeah, which, again, is, is probably why it won't happen, because well, it goes back to the well, bronze We're age. starting to see more and more and more since MBS and the J- Jamal Khashoggi thing. Horrible. Horrible. Oh, God, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. the 9-11, what, whatever the inside. But it would seem that MBS um, is trying to do a PR campaign, whether it's real or actually, you know, uh, a facade, mm. to sort of... Uh, re-enlighten the world on what Saudi Arabia is, right? So as you see Iran becoming more of a social international pariah, you're starting to see Saudi Arabia talk about these peace treaties, talk about arms deals with the United States. You're seeing what they're doing in the sports PR world. They started the live golf thing. You're starting yep. to see them buy sports franchises. MBS has basically come out and said, yeah, we, we are doing that to ingratiate ourselves into the to the real world. We've seen the economic success of the UAE Saudi's like, all right, well, we've got oil money too. Like, why be a pariah when we can be a player? And there's so, also this: they, they they need to be. Well, we need them to be, but they want to be a counterbalance to Iran. Of course. Right? So, um, yeah. At the end of the day, doesn't it behoove them to uh, treat or enable Iran to be that social pariah and, and prop themselves up? Look, look, we're not that bad. Yeah, good use of the word behoove. By yeah, the way. I love yeah. doing my I love when you use here. the big words. I know. Yeah. So, Mike, with all the stuff that's happening with, you know, the, the prisoner trade, we, we throw in, you know, the Biden administration throws in $6 billion, which is ridiculous. How much do you think of what's happening falls on the fact that we do have such a weak leader? Like, because they know, you know, they're not going to really press them that hard. But, I mean, think about it. They know that we're... Israel's number one ally, but you're still doing some stuff like that. How much does that come into play when you're making decisions to go attack and do all this? I mean, I'm pretty sure they look at the big picture. They're not, they're not just going to just kill. There's something deeper than that, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's, it doesn't help when, as Pat said, you have a sort of this back and forth in policy and, you know, and, and I, I think there's, there's inconsistency in, in U.S. positions. And, and so, uh, and I think also the, this this soft approach on Iran, um, you know, frankly, caused a lot of concern within the Saudis and, and also the Gulf states as to, you know, OK, where is the U.S. going here? You know, what are they doing? What's their intention? And so I think I don't know. But I, I, as far as Iran's uh, intentions, I, yeah, I think they just it, it's a destabilization of the region. They don't they don't view a, because I don't think they view themselves as coming out on top in a region that is increasingly peaceful and stable. Mm-hmm. So they would see themselves being further and further isolated. I suspect the regime again I'm talking about. But yeah. it's uh, – yeah. It's, but I, I think the problem is going to be and, – and Jason uh, you know, talked about it uh, you know, and saying you know, hopefully in a couple of weeks or three or four weeks when casualties – that people will remember what happened. I'm not an optimistic person sometimes, and I don't think people are going to remember how this all kicked off. 
Yeah, they're gonna move and, on. And by the way, Adam, yeah. did, Adam, you, your, Adam, your number was how? How many? How many billion uh, Muslims on, in the it was world? One point eight billion. One point eight billion. And you said a one percent of the of the population million. are just hate like. Well, radicalize. Some would say that's a low number. I, I, no, I was going to say, Pat, yes. the, yeah. the, remember the, the Bill Maher podcast? 25% is what Let's say 20 said. to 25 conservative. Yeah. That's a conservative number. That is hundreds of millions of people that are just like, you're not going to change their mind. It's just hate. Get rid of them, and so I was just trying to make a point that that yeah. number that you you are beyond conservative. And by the way, let's let's play. Uh, uh, okay, let's be positive. Let's no, go. we can fix this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you got hundreds of millions of people, tens of millions of people with that level of hate or belief, mm -hmm. like, for example, if you read the charter, if you read Hamas's charter, 1988, yeah. versus the 2017 charter, their original charter, you know what it says? If you can pull it up, Rob, I don't know if you have it or not. If you don't have it, I'll just read it to you. This is when it the, their first one, Pat? This is yeah. their charter. This okay. is what, like, their, their, their Bill of Rights, yeah. oh, okay? okay. Gotcha, gotcha. Let me read you their Bill of Rights. Here's Hamas's Bill of Rights, the OG one, the 1988, which is what, 35 years ago. What they were founded on, their founding principles. Original founding gotcha. principles. The complete destruction, it's four themes. Number one, the complete destruction of Israel as an essential condition for the liberation of Palestine and the establishment of a theocratic state based on Islamic law, Sharia law, number one. Number two, the need for both unrestrained and unceasing holy war, jihad, wow. to attain the above objective, point number one. Number three, the deliberate disdain for and dismissal of any negotiated resolution or political settlement of Jewish and Muslim claims to the Holy Land. Number four, the reinforcement of historical anti-Semitic tropes and calumnies married to sinister conspiracy theories, okay? I mean, th th these are true believers that believe that. Now, keep this in mind. So that's what they believe in. When you raise your, raise your kids, if you're a Bears fan, your kids are probably a Bears fan. You're a Lakers fan, they're a Lakers fan. You're this, most of the time, religion, beliefs is going to be the same, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, this is what's interesting about this. This is why I had the conversation, is they're having more kids per woman than any other religion in the world. Okay, so whatever this number is, it ain't going away. It's <laughs> yeah. gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. By 2050, you're gonna you think right now, look, oh my God, look who's the senator, or Congress, Muslim, this. Dude, 2050, it's gonna be like oh my 20, God. 30, 40, 50, hundreds involved. Right now, in the last midterms election, 82 or 83 Muslim elected officials, city council. Not, not necessarily Congress and Senate, yeah. but just different positions that they got. From a competitor myself, I respect how competitive they are to win the war of them being able to get everybody to be baptized in their way of living, mm -hmm. okay, in their, their way that they view the world should be, right? The laws that they follow. These are not people that are playing around. So when you're saying numbers like that, this is not going to slow down anytime soon. So what do you do? Okay. You kill 20,000 Palestinians and Hamas. All right. Say you kill 50,000. Say you kill 100,000. And then what do you do? Okay. 
They got 2.1 million people living in Gaza, by the way. Yeah, and, and zero, zero Israelis. 2.1 million Palestinians. And to your point, about a million of those are young kids. Young yeah. kids. Yeah. 50% unemployment. You know, I think it's, I don't know if it's NATO or who gives them money. You or somebody gives them money. 720, 730 million dollars. Mm. And they say the money doesn't end up going to the people. They keep it at the top and they go buy weapons. Oh, so this is kind of like, hey, you should kind of get rid of the blockade because you're not allowing business to come through here. And Israel says, no, we're not removing a blockade. Matter of fact, we're going to shut it down right now for water and food. But somehow, some way, they're getting food and you know shelter. They're getting food and water to these guys. Here's the point. <laughs> Number one, is this ever going to stop? Okay, you know, preventative. So let's just say preventative, right? You buy life insurance not because you're going to die tomorrow. You buy it because what? Guaranteed you're eventually going to die. Yeah, you, have you need life insurance, day. right? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, you, you get auto insurance not because you're going to get into an accident tomorrow because the possibility if it there. happens, right. you're yeah. protected, right? Yeah. What is insurance right now, okay? My concern right now is it's, it's easy to want to retaliate. Trust me, there's different parties involved. Palestinians... They're going to give their argument, which is what? How come you're not sharing our side of the story? Did you not see the father that's walking around with the daughter and the kid? Dude, we see all of that, and it's heartbreaking, okay? Then you hear the story of Israeli who are Israeli-Americans who are here versus Israelis who are in Israel, left and right. To one side, let's destroy them all. Let's get rid of them. What? Let's make this all our land. Let's make it. You can only be a Israeli to come back to the Holy Land, and this is it, Right? The other side is like, well, no, let's kind of figure out a way to negotiate with them. Then there's everybody else in the world that's not directly involved with it. You're not Palestinian. You're not a Jew. Maybe you're a Christian living in America. Maybe you're a, you know, Mormon living in, you know, whatever, Brazil. I don't know what you are. You're sitting there saying, look, this Brazilian is, Mormon. Yeah, Brazilian, you know, believe it or not, I met, I, met a, I, met a, I met a Cuban Baha'i, which is well, kind of wow. weird. Baha'i well, Cuban. Cuban. Yeah, apparently there's like a Baha'i uh, church in, in Cuba out of all places. Hilarious. But the point, the, the question I'm asking is, okay, so first starts there, and then all of a sudden residual effects, boom, front door, your house, your city, yeah. your community. Now what? How do you prevent from that happening, right? That's the concern. Mm -hmm. So I don't think any of this is going to be slowing down. But do I think they're going to retaliate and they're going to do something? Yeah, I think so. How bad is it going to be? I don't know. 20,000, 50,000, 100,000? I don't know. Whatever that number is, you're going to get retaliation from the other side. Yeah. You'll, you'll definitely get retaliation. I think where it, it, it could go, one scenario is what's happened in the past. Look, they retaliate and then numbers start to rise, meaning casualties. And, you know, uh, Israel will stop. They, they, you know, they typically will say, look, don't, don't preach to, to us about morals, right? Because, you know, look what happened over the weekend as a, as, as a point. Uh, but I think usually what would happen is the U.S. allies would have a off-the-radar very serious conversation at a certain point when it starts to look like, look, this is, you, you know, we got to stop because you're risking fissures in the support that exists for Israel. Mm -hmm. And at that point, typically, you know, that's when the Israeli government will back off and say, okay, we've, we've, we've done what we need to do. And they'll draw a line and say, we've accomplished our goal. And, and frankly, you're, again, you're not, I don't, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but you're not going to destroy Hamas, but they will get to a certain point that pressure will build, and they'll 
issue a statement that basically says we have degraded, we have we have crushed them, we have done whatever. However, they're going to have to frame it, mm-hmm. right? And then Hamas will do what they do, and they'll release you know their PR statements and say, yeah, look, you know, you, you, could, you couldn't do it. You know, look how many civilians you killed, and by the way, we're still here, and it'll just keep going like it's been going since. Yeah, turn of the century. Tales I mean, yeah, yeah. You go back to whatever World War One. Like, like, like the the you know, Pat used a word that I think is uh, very important: the residual effect. Okay, so the last big dust up here was in '05, the disengagement, everything there. There's been mm-hmm. conflicts yeah, in between, yeah, 14, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's about to get ugly right now. The residual effect. So let's say it takes. You talked about. Unemployment, the, the, a million of the two million are uh, young people, younger yeah. people. Yeah. So let's say there's a bunch of 10 year olds right now. Um, kids, they're running the streets. You'd have seen the video of like uh, the literal kids beating up an Israeli kid because he was Israeli. They, he was captured. All right. So you see this. So you talk about the residual effects. So, you know, what are the sports that they these boys watch? What are the big teams in Gaza? Mm. There's no teams. There's right. no sports. There's no idols to look up to. I'm not looking up to Michael Jordan, let's say, or Ronaldo or Messi or Gretzky, whoever it is, who they look up to are these freedom fighters. We call them terrorists, but they call them freedom well, fighters. Well, sure, they're martyrs in, in their own community. They're martyrs, of course. Yeah, and, and there's generational hate. It just gets, it's get, it gets passed along because, yeah, I mean, the trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine kids, again, you know, and we have to be more, uh, I don't want to say sophisticated because I'm not sophisticated, but mm-hmm. you, you have to be more complicated in your thinking and we tend we, we're not right we tend not to particularly here in the states where you got three minutes to cover a news story and everything's superficial and they but you can you can have real empathy for a, a, a five or six or seven or eight year old or a teenager living in gaza right and the, and the, the the terrible conditions and there doesn't seem to be where, where is the future where is it going to mm-hmm. lead how do i make my life better you can have those thoughts while still being absolutely disgusted right and it's some core of your being saying no we got to have some revenge here for for the horrible things that hamas does right and again putting their own people at risk because that's how they survive that's how hamas keeps going but uh, you know typically we don't do that typically we don't have really layered Conversations, but you can have, you know you can have two competing thoughts in your head at the same time. But at the end of the day, uh, th- this is sort of the quagmire that that everything comes down to is that you know everything comes down to polarity, right? Like you know the the you know the sun and the moon, right? Man and woman, it's complete opposite. You know, I, I think it was MLK that famously said, "You don't fight darkness or hate with more hate. You do mm-hmm. it with love. You do it with sunshine, all, all that fun stuff." But even if you do a PR campaign of love. Like Pat pointed out, their founding principles are your annihilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So how do you yeah. love someone? And hey, listen, I, we can get along. We can do this. They're just like, yeah, I still want to kill you. Yeah, no, their point of view, from Hamas' point of view, Hezbollah's point of view, is if you accommodate Israel, yeah, if, if, if like a citizen of, of of or not a citizen but a resident of Gaza, you accommodate Israel or you talk mm-hmm. about it, then you're a traitor to Islam. Right. Right. Yeah. That's just the, so, the the fact of the matter in terms of how they. So yeah, you're you're. The idea that you're going to, you know, hug your enemy to death there, mm-hmm. you know, in response to something that they've, they've just done, uh, it's not going to work. Pat, you were shaking your head as, as I said that. What was it that, that you were Yeah, you, you know, like, um, um, you, you got kids, let's just say, okay? Mm-hmm. Somebody, God forbid, does something to your kid, okay? Mm-hmm. Or somebody, your son is 14 years old. He's walking. You guys go into a restaurant together with you, your wife. 
your two kids, and somebody kills you in front of uh, him at 14 years old, God forbid, mm-hmm. let me tell you, I mean, that's not going to leave that kid. Never. Okay, right. so maybe he finds Jesus, and he learns to forgive. Okay, now let's take 100 kids who have experienced death. Say 60 of them are like, look, God, I'm going to forgive the man and move on. You see these videos and they're viral videos where the person who killed the person's hugs kid them. comes and hugs them. It's oh, like, oh, amazing. my God. Okay, great. Yeah. But 40 of them, they're not going to be like that, bro. Nope. Okay. Why do you think revenge videos do, movies do so well? Freaking, <laughs> what's the, not Daniel Day-Lewis. What's the other guy that keeps doing revenge movies? Taken 2, Taken 8, oh, yeah. Taken oh, 40. Uh, what is uh, John? Liam, Liam what's the guy's name? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. How many Takens do we need to do? Oh, yeah, he, you know what it tells you? Right. It tells yeah. you freaking the world yeah. loves revenge yeah. movies because mm-hmm. they want to seek vengeance. Why do they keep making these movies? Because we relate. The one movie that... Uh, that the, uh, the old one Mel Gibson did where the bad guy walks into the apartment and his son starts peeing and he looks at his, I don't know if you remember that scene, he looks at his son, his son is peeing, he looks at the guy, he realizes the killer and then he changes the behavior to get a hold of this oh, guy. Oh, it's, uh, what, uh, what is it called? Ransom. 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 It's the movie. Oh, wow. Ransom. Good for you. Let's go. Or even uh, Gladiator, right? Uh, my name is Maximus Desperatius. Yeah. I will have my revenge Gladiator. this night for the next. Man right? on fire. Well, you can really memorize that. Yeah. Some yeah. of the greatest <laughs> movies revenge. of all time are revenge. So mm-hmm. what does this mean? This ain't never stopping. Nope. It is never because. By the when, way, by the way, can I interrupt and just yeah. say we also can't leave out Charles Bronson and Death Wish. You can't. No. That's I mean. Fair enough. No. Charles no. Fair enough for yeah. that. Yeah. Our apologies Thank to the God. Charles Bronson. Yeah. Yeah. We apologize on behalf we of the entire to. podcast. <laughs> but but the point is, this ain't never gonna stop. No. So the only thing you can do. It's like, listen, there's nothing you can do about dying. What you could do is delay when you're going to die. Okay? So, okay, if you eat ice cream every day, smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, you drink every day, you know, you're, you're increasing the chance of dying earlier. If you got blood pressure, you got all this other stuff you're dealing with, okay. And if you take care of your health, you exercise, you eat good diet, you know, you're extending how long you could live. Okay? And if your job's not a risky thing. But no matter what. This ain't going away. Nope. So everything, so, so then what becomes a solution? Here's the only solution I think about. Honestly, the only solution I think about is the following, if you really unpack this. What is the only solution? There's only one solution, okay, is hardcore putting the fear into your enemy, earning respect, and being gentle where you don't have to raise your voice. If they fear you, if they respect you, and you set the tone of who you are, and you're not an asshole about it, then you're kind of like, all right, cool. We know you got power. We know if you cross the line with you, you can annihilate us. But we like you, respectful. Let's figure out a way to coexist. But we can't mess with you, right? Mm -hmm. This is leading with strength. This isn't anything new that we're talking Mm -hmm. about, right? There's leaders that led the way and created peace in a society or in a nation or a country or a city or a region by having a strong military. You know, I, I, Idaho, but why do people move to Idaho? Because Idaho leads, uh, I think, one of the uh, top, what do you call a license to carry. Everybody's got yeah. it down, whatever the numbers is. That's yep. right. Crime is low. I dare you. Yeah. You go to a restaurant, if there's 100 people there, Probably fifty of them have a gun with them. Yeah, yeah. Stupid! Don't don't be yeah, stupid. Yeah. You know nobody's, yeah, nobody's jacking the uh, the, yeah. the stinker uh, gas station. No, hell Somebody's no. carrying. <laughs> yeah, so, and then you go yeah. to Chicago, and guess what? You're in a restaurant with a hundred people in there. The twenty people that have guns, 
they just got out of jail and they got <laughs> it illegally. Yeah. And guess what? Right. Yeah. They can ruin your life. So yeah. you, which place would you rather live? So I, th- I think the only way – this gets me more thinking about, again, where we live. You see the Iron Dome. You're like, huh, what a great thing. By the way, you know how much they spent on the Iron Dome? $210 million. That's all it was. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy, right? $210 million. Sick. I think it was 2006, 2007, the whole thing with the, you know, Hezbollah's coming from Lebanon. They're like, okay, we got to build an Iron Dome. U.S. even helped it. And I even searched here. Rob, check to see how many Iron Domes we have in America. It says two. But I don't know if we have iron domes in America. I've got uh, I've got one over my compound. Do in, you in Idaho? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Wow. Say, you see, the U.S. military has two iron dome batteries that were supplied in late 2020. I don't know if we have iron domes. I mean, we have lasers. Okay. We're, we're laser. Well, maybe we should use our uh, diplomatic and friendly relationship with Israel to help us figure Did out. Did you say we have lasers? You said we have lasers. We 100. If we have lasers, the how the hell couldn't we laser down a freaking balloon for hours? Uh, no, because <laughs> we have what, what lasers. You, Pat, we have to let it go through. Stop to get free. it. <laughs> we have Pat. lasers. We, hold on. we actually do have lasers, but I'm uh, sure we have lasers. But if we do, lasers their freaking heads. Can I ask you a question, Mike? I mentioned uh, you got the reference right. You know, no, what, I Pat, what movie is this? These, I want sharks with freaking laser. Yeah, that's beams. Austin Powers. Okay, good yeah. point. How so, about so, no. before we shift gears? Can I just no, yeah. follow up? Oh yeah, you're okay, fine, gotcha. Because I'm staying yeah. on the well, topic. Pat, you bring up a good point with like how you solve this. So the unemployment thing is, is it 50 percent? It, it's 50 percent in Gaza. Okay. Yeah. Look, I, I think especially. And by the way, some say that's a low number. Right. Yeah. So you know, what's the unemployment rate in the United States right now? Three and a half percent. You know, how are we going to yeah. get down to three percent? Yeah. Oh my God! During COVID, it went up to 20 percent. Whatever it was, we have no idea what it's like to wake up and literally, there it is, 3.8 percent. Have no job, no career, no skill set. You pray. You're with your family. Respect. But, uh, you know, don't discount, not that you guys are, don't discount the importance of work and earning and what it does for giving you a purpose and giving you meaning well, and giving, giving you, you giving motivation. You hope and also the, yes. the, the, the concept you know, of making yourself better. That's, that's a human thing. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, um, it's so essential to having purpose. So, you know, the, what's the GDP of Gaza? What do they produce? I don't know. But if I'm them, I, you know, talk about selling the dream, selling hope. You know, you can look at a little country in the Middle East like the UAE, mm-hmm. Dubai, everything that goes on there. Where were they 50 years ago? Piece of piece of sand. Mm. So when you can give hope to people and say, you don't have to be 50% unemployment. You don't have to be the uh, purveyor of terrorism. You don't have to just uh, be, think about death and destruction and uh, retribution your whole life. There's a better plan out there. Because what you're doing is a, is a road to nowhere. So they, they do have a blueprint and a template with the UAE, small uh, Gulf states, whether it's Kuwait, whatever, and say, like, w- when's the last time you heard about Kuwait attacking anything? Yeah, obviously yeah. the first uh, yeah. desert storm. Yeah. But there, there's a blueprint and there's cases. But they examples. would tell you, Palestinians would tell you, Gaza would tell you, this is the fault of the Israeli folks. This is the fault of the blockade. This Correct. is the fault of the land, water, air blockade that you guys have created and the reason why we can't have any right. kind of business being done here. If it wasn't for you guys, if it wasn't for Israel, this wouldn't happen. So now Israel's mindset, some people are mm-hmm. saying, hey, you got 22 Arab nations. Why don't you go to one of them? Choose, choose to go to one of the Arab nations. Can you pull up the Arab nation list, yeah. uh, Rob? Algeria, Bahrain, you know, uh, uh, Djibouti, 
Your favorite, Jordan. Egypt, Iraq, yeah, Jordan, yeah. Kuwait, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Oman, Palestine, you know, uh, Qatar. So go to one of these. Why don't you go to one of these Arab nations if you feel so? So Israel, some folks in Israel wanted to be just go Somewhere to completely different. But I tell you, if I'm a president right now, okay, and imagine that $100 billion we spent on uh, uh, Ukraine, okay? Let's take that $100 billion. Bring everybody in that's military folks and make a list of all the threats, okay, one by one by one by one. In every possible way, make the investment to getting everything done. The southern border, done. Uh, above it, whatever kind of protection we give, done. Whatever other things we can do to create an iron dome above the most important places that we have in uh, our country, whatever that is, if it's the financial capital of the world in New York, boom. Do it. If it's, you know, uh, the Pentagon White House, boom. If it's the ports we got to protect in Long Beach, Jacksonville, you know, Texas, you know, even uh, say, boom, protect the ports. Protect the port that we have. We have a port in, in New York uh, around that area, boom, protect it. Everything becomes, dude, play defense, invest. Stack yourself up with your defense where you're so protected and then tell everybody what we just did and how we're protected and don't compromise anybody and everybody. The fact that both the left and the right, can you imagine how stupid this is to be more excited about winning an election as a Democrat (laughs) to compromise your border? It is more important for a Democrat to win an election then to compromise the protection of your border, yep. acting like you care about your people, yep. to the point where even Democrats in New York are turning around saying, we can't afford to do this. Mm-hmm. Chicago, we can't afford yep. to do this. Get them out of our gym. People in Texas, we can't afford to do this. Arizona, we can't afford to do this. California, we can't afford to do this. No, no, it's okay. As long as we do this, we can keep winning elections. Is it your political party over your country? Number one, if somebody ran right now in 2024, you know what will be a big campaign right now? What? Like if if the debate that's coming up right now, I'm sure one of them's going to do hit this message. But my entire campaign would be around strengthening the military, so we don't have to go to war and nobody can. I would strengthen the military, the borders, all of that stronger. Especially today, at a time like this, Trump hit that mm-hmm. message in 2016 when he ran on that. And guess what happened? You know what a lot of people wanted? That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted the wall. They wanted protection. They wanted to be protected from some of these things, but even more today than before, because 70,000 people from 2021 to 2023 came here who are from Syria, who are from Afghanistan, Yemen, who are from Iraq, who are from Yemen. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. What are we talking oh, about? Yep. Yeah. And by the way, if you give, and you mentioned this, Pat, if you give $100 million that we were supposed to give to Ukraine, Billion, and you, 100 billion. 100 billion yeah. You know what's mm. going to happen? Zelensky is going to be on the first flight, and he's going to be like, you bought iron what? That's for me. That we can't take. You know what Zelensky would do? Yeah, he'd have a heart attack. He'd <laughs> no, fly he fly here and complain. No, I'm sorry. Was that, that was your Ukrainian. That was accent? my Ukrainian. He's oh, like, okay. you give Iron Dome for what? That's okay. for my country. Just checking. He would go back to yeah. being a phenomenal comedian. That's yeah, what yeah exactly. That's exactly. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. yeah, that's hilarious. You know? yeah. Well, Mike, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So yeah. I touched on it um, with Jason about uh, Khaled Mashal's uh, message calling for tomorrow to be a terror day. Yeah. Adam, you know, did a very, very conservative number, 1%. We actually figured it's probably 20%. So you have the 250 million, you know, Muslims that actually really, really would do harm to us because mm. they actually hate us. Uh, Customs and Border Patrol, Pat mentioned, 1.5 million illegals have come in here. 70,000 that are, what was it, Pat? Special interest illegal aliens. Yeah. So, Mike, these, uh, let's, and not forget the 200 FBI terror watch list folk that we caught. 
Mike, how? Well, you also have, don't forget, you also have all the gotaways. So, yeah. you know, we have no idea how many other special interest aliens Gosh, you're so, came across. So, Mike, yeah. who yeah. knows, right? right. What, what, what do you think, Mike? And not to be, we're not fear-mongering. We're just right. being optimistic, bro. Like, don't, I don't want to have our pants down. Like, oh, we don't know what will happen. How, how concerned are you? What are the odds, Mike, that they're, they're obviously a, a shitload of them here. Uh, you have people like the the Mashal Khaled guys mm-hmm. saying, "Guys, we need to attack." How concerned should we be as America for some something like that going down here? Well, you should always be concerned uh, if you don't have a a, uh, a secure border, right? <laughs> I mean, that just it, it, you should always be aware of the fact that if if we're not controlling and securing the border, which doesn't make you a racist or anti-immigrant, it. Every other nation does it. We just happen to be the ones that apologize for it for some reason or don't actually do it. Then, yeah, you. the problem is then you don't know where you are on the alert scale. Yeah. Right? Because so this this call for resistance and however else they want to phrase it, um, it's a problem because, as, as, as Pat said, we've had over the past two years, we've had a ridiculous number of, of encounters with individuals from – Lebanon, from Yemen, from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Pakistan, coming over. And, yeah, fine. Some of them are looking for a better life. A co- a, yeah, that that that's, goes without saying, but we, we don't know. And the Biden administration can't tell you. There's some estimates that maybe there's one and a half million gotaways what? during the Biden administration, right? But that's a complete guess. In a sense, they're extrapolating on the data that they, they've collected over the, the years. So... They're just they're making some assumptions. But, um, yeah, so I think and, and look, there's every time there's an escalation in, uh, over in the Middle East, you know, local, state, federal uh, and the intel community, everybody gathers together and says, OK, now now what's going to happen? You know, what if and, and where is that attack going to come from and what's the problem? And so there's that game goes on all the time. There's they're always table topping exercises. But, um, you know, the problem is that we don't have a, there's, there's there's nothing secure about this border Let's at this point i hate to, again i hate to what do you think it's like is is it just is it I mean, we're not stupid. It's not because they, they're humanitarians, Mike, and they give a damn. Mayorkas is just sitting there smiling in Congress. He doesn't give a shit. Is it on purpose? Like, are they trying to destroy us from within? Because they can't deny the numbers that we just talked about, Mikey. Yeah. They're here. Yeah. These people are here. I don't think it's I, – I mean, I, again, I don't think they're trying to destroy us from within or anything like that. I'm not necessarily – you know, I, I don't usually go down that route. But, but um, I think that – there is sort of a self-righteous sense among a, a, a sector of the Dem Party that says, you know, well, we, if we do talk about secure borders, it is racist, and we're better than that. And they're just not, they're not smart enough to understand that, look, you could fix, actually, and have a fair immigration policy, and you could also have a secure border. One doesn't discount the other. Mm-hmm. But you cannot fix the immigration system until you have a secure border. Right? Yeah, it it's has not going to work this time, though, Mike, because yeah. I'll tell you, uh, I fell for it the first time. You know, I'm guilty. What do you mean? Uh, to Trump, the MAGA, build a wall, make Mexico pay for yeah. it. The, the, the media, oh, he's racist. It's what's going on. It's like we've seen the results right. of actually not implementing a more secure border. We've seen the results of not having the wall. We've seen the results of just wide open borders. And now Biden's so in, building yeah, some yeah, walls. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. They, they laid down so the short. What, what, yeah. what yeah. we were told, and, you know, this is the whole problem, is like, People make mistakes, but you don't double down on your mistake. You say, hey, look, I probably yeah. should have, uh, you know, looked into this more. Like, whatever. This is eight years ago, whatever the number yeah. was. But the point is, the wall's racist. 
The wall's medieval. This is a medieval. Doesn't work. This is a medieval solution to yeah. a modern day problem. Though, oh my God, he thinks all Mexicans are rapists and drug. Like, the, the, how many times did they play that? Yeah. But here's the reality: uh, at the very least, a wall will help secure the border. Or do we want to start helping to secure the border or do nothing? Yeah. And I think most Americans, if you just sort of frame it that way, they're like, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't you know, I'm not a fan of Trump, let's say, but. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm cool with a wall. I had this conversation with somebody who will remain nameless just a day and a half ago where we were having this conversation about the wall along the southern border, and they said, well, look, it didn't do any good in Israel. You know, oh, the, you know most high-tech, you know. So, and, yeah. and all you can do is sit and stare at somebody like yeah, that. Like, and you think, I'm, I'm sorry, but do you imagine that, you know, that's what we're talking about here? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that level of, of yeah. breach? Yeah, I, I'm you know, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. as we talk about these hordes of uh, Latin American people coming in, yeah, migrant workers for the most part to work yeah, but, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. whereas you have a Hamas literally killing people. Yeah. yeah. So the equivocation there is insane. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, I, and Mike, I've seen a lot of videos, thank God to Elon Musk, because that we can see it, that there's Americans recording people from China, people from the Middle East. Nobody speaks English. You're like, mm -hmm. what are you, where are you going? Where are you from? Uh, they, they can't even, they have they zero English, and they're coming they're in like, here, and they're young age men yeah. with no kids. It's like, what do you... They like have a fake yeah. Mexican mustache on, and just because like, they're brown Orale. from uh, yeah. Afghanistan. But you, this, you, they speak no Spanish. Rob, what's this? Oh, yeah, go. Just uh, B-roll footage of people crossing the border illegally so, so, into yeah. the United so, States. So, my, and what, yeah. what do you yeah. think about... So, Vivek Ramaswamy said something. He said, if I was a president, one of the first things I would do... Yeah, one of the first... <laughs> <laughs> is that a dog? Yeah, but you remember... Is it, that a dog? And, it's like, and, and this doesn't help, real quick, Vin, this doesn't help that, you know, Governor Abbott in Texas, he tried to put up these, like, floats. Yeah. Float. You know what that was? These floaties? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, they, it was they the hit Supreme him with Court a, of the federal yeah. government said, no, you can't even have that on the Rio Grande River. Well, well like, that the was... The states that, tried yeah. to do something about this. They're like, yeah, sorry, buddy, that don't play this whole deal. Yeah, no, they tried to say, look, this is, uh, you know, this is your, the, the free and fair passage on Waterways Act. You know, you're, you're breaching that with putting out these barriers. And... Uh, I, again, I, you, you, it, it's, it's true that we have a flawed immigration system, right? And it's true that the country was built on immigration. Oh, fine. You know, none of that's in question. But you can have a, a, a controlled and secure border like all the other nations I've been to have. And I don't see anybody – I mean, try moving into Mexico illegally and getting a work permit and benefits. Mike, what do you think about – It's not so going to happen. Vivek Ramaswamy said one of the okay. first things that he would – but I'm sorry. I'm still laughing because we saw the dog go over. And I was like, the dog was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, no, the dog made it. But anyway, uh, Vivek said one of the first things he would do, Mike, was put – because we have a bunch of people, a bunch of reservists, a bunch of soldiers that are just here. We're not, like, actively in a crazy war. He would set up, you know, military at the border. Like, if we're going to get serious, mm -hmm. wall, okay, I get it. Build it, but put up the military to guard it, protect it, and just like enough's enough. I know, Adam, we deal with people coming in tunnels and shit, but if we want to get serious, guess what? Let's get the military involved and let's not, like, you'll know not to just show up and, like, what, caravans of 3,000, 5,000, 6,000 people. It's like we yeah. have, like, enough is enough. Well, I think part of it is, I think it's, it, there's, there's more layers to that. And I'm not, a, uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with Vivek about, you know, let's, let's post the military down on the, on the border. Yeah. If we, if, if suddenly, you know, the alert, you know, goes up and we've got a, a, a problem. Uh, but in the case that we've got, part of the problem is um, administration policy, right? Mm -hmm. And people aren't stupid overseas. They understand when 
you know, it's a it's a uh, an open situation. They're basically being invited to come in, right? Despite the fact that then they they said no, no, we told people don't show up. Well, no, all their rhetoric during the campaign, all their talk, you know, and all their criticism of of Trump's policies, all of that helped contribute to the fact that you had this this migration, this large inflow, and you can do that along with then creating a more secure border through physical barriers, through surveillance, through detection, through ground. You know, there's there's things you can be doing without saying we're going to we're going to send the military down there and post up. Uh, you can beef up CBP. Right. Mm-hmm. And and uh, this would drive the, the, the squad on Capitol Hill crazy. But you could, you know, beef up ICE and CBP. What's CBP? Uh, Customs and Border Protection. OK. Got it. Um, so we have elements in place that can handle this problem if you if you allow them to do their job, right? And if you create, uh, you know, the necessary infrastructure. So you've got to empower them. You've got to empower them. Them. You're not doing yes. it. That's the word. Right. They're not feeling empowered. They're right. feeling like they're uh, uh, crippled, like they can't do their job. I want to read two stories that may be, one of the stories, you're hearing a lot of Republicans coming out talking about the, the $6 billion freeze, all this stuff. But I want to read this story. How the Al-Aqsa Mosque became a flashpoint in the Israeli-Palestine conflict. This is an NPR story okay, that came out a couple of years ago. Recent attacks by Hamas against Israel resulting in casualties on both sides were partly triggered by Israeli raids around the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. This area has become a flashpoint due to longstanding Palestinian grievances, decades of military occupation, and a decade and a half of siege in Gaza Strip, which has left millions of Palestinians living in the difficult conditions. According to Yosef Manoyar, a senior fellow at the Arab Center, Washington, D.C. In recent years and months, the escalation of violence against Palestinians has been noted by the United Nations and governments throughout the region who've been warning that his escalation, this escalation of Israeli violence against Palestinians is going to uh, lead to an explosion in this region. So I don't know if you know this story. I don't know if you're aware of this story. What are your thoughts about this? Yeah, um, it, <laughs> the, the, the history of... of of Palestine, the history of the area, right? You, you I, I, again, there's there's a certain um, cynicism uh, in the consistency, and the, and there's, it's depressing when you think about the consistency of all this. I mean, you can go all the way back to, you know, look, the, the Israelites, right? I mean, again, not to get deep in history, but Israelites uh, controlled Palestine, you know, back you go to the wherever the Iron Age, the Romans, Romans took over, and um, there was a Jewish revolt, you know, I mean, I'm jumping period to period, but I guess the point that when you started reading that, I, I thought of, you know, the Romans putting down the Jewish revolt, and one of the things they did was they destroyed the, the Jewish temple, right, mm-hmm. which was incredibly important, right, to, to the Jewish population there at the time. Um, this is, it's always been a flashpoint. So whether you're talking about the mosque, or you're talking, there are certain, not that oversimple, there's certain, very few uh points that surface all the time in in this conflict right and so i i think part of it is i, I think people put their they just shrug and say it's never going to solve itself so i was thinking about what i mean what you were saying about what's the end game or what how you know how do you deal with it and i think that's the question that has to be asked because we always get we get locked into these moments we get locked into the Palestinians and their their concern over the the, the mosque. We get locked in over the the issue of Jerusalem and and uh, is it open? Um, there there are these the I don't know what <coughs> what has to happen to broaden our approach 
to say at some point we have to solve this because everybody sitting here agrees <clears throat> two million people in a space that's maybe a fourth the size of London, you know, is is not right. Right. So we have at some point there's got to be a sea change that says um, somehow you've got to create something different. If we keep doing this, because I guarantee you they're going to finish this operation. <clears throat> they're going to they're going to get vilified. The Israelis, I mean. Um, and we're going to go right back to the status quo. Oh, thanks yeah. very much. Yeah, I've got something here. Well, if you would have yeah. drank the vault. This yeah, was, that's what I might. You know, so we got a bunch yeah, of them. Yeah, you could, well, we have a bunch of them. Rob, do me a favor. Just pull up the map of that's the Middle East. That's what I was thinking. Should have had the vault. There you <laughs> go. Pull up a map of the Middle East. But, you know, by the way, the, the story, the any mosque that gets blown up, I'm not happy about this. Any church that gets blown up, any well, it's, like there's certain things that I believe are opposite. So, so this is uh, you're kind of almost in Southeast Asia. So just go punch <laughs> in on the the Middle East. So okay, so go back out. So this go punch out just a little bit. So this is what we would call the Middle East. Yeah, to your left you have Egypt. Uh, Lebanon, you've got Syria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so this there, this is what this is the Arab world. Let's say now if you go all the way in. Tiny, tiny, tiny. You'll find little old, little old Israel. Okay. I feel like I'm familiar. Back in middle yeah. school. There you yeah. go. But I think it's important. Tel yeah. Aviv. So, so there's there's Israel right there. To the to the southern left is the Sinai Peninsula, which they gave back to Egypt after the war. Okay. The Golan Heights, which has been an area of, of discrepancy. So why am I doing all this? Uh, you, you have Israel right there. Now punch all the way back out. So we're talking about a little tiny fraction of the Middle East where it's it pales in comparison to the Arab world. All right, mm. what's my point? So you have 15 million Jews living in this little, tiny, tiny, tiny little area. You have 2 million Gazans, uh, Palestinians living in this little area. You have this entire Middle Eastern world that empathizes and sympathizes, mm. for the most part, with Gaza. First question, what are you going to do with these 15 million Jews if you do want to expel them? Go there. Right. Go there. You're going to expel these Jews. Where are they going? Okay, they fled to Israel. Why? Because they were persecuted in Europe, Germany, Poland, Auschwitz, go there, Russia, everything that happened there, whether they were in Morocco, whether they were in Libya, because there's called Sephardic Jews that are from the Middle East, mm -hmm. and there's called Ashkenazi Jews that essentially were from Europe. But how did they end up in Europe is because they were expelled from, you called it, the homeland. Mm. And, you know, Jews have been fighting wars since the kingdom of Judea and your people, the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Phoenicians and everything. But this has always been sort of the Jewish homeland. And it's like you said, the Romans and all mm -hmm. this. So my question is this. What's easier to do? If, if we were just going to make a deal and had zero emotion in it, you're going to remove these 15 million people somehow. And where are they going? There's only one Jewish homeland, one Jewish state in the world. Where are they going? Mm -hmm. Or you have two million people in Gaza living under dire conditions, and you have an entire Arab world that what won't take them in? Right. right. Even Egypt? I was, yeah. <clears throat> was so, going to say the Arab world has – you always have to ask that question. What have they done to actually benefit or help the Palestinian cause? So you can hate and, on Israel. Yeah. You can call them an apartheid state. You could you do all that. But, okay, how are you helping Gaza? Mm -hmm. So you send them money to – create more war how do you how do you empower these people how do you help these people how do you have humanitarian aid and take these people in so it's not just one constant war cycle of war yeah that's all i'm saying here is that there's so much arab land respect there's this tiny little thing called israel yet they're the problem it doesn't add up well they try i mean you can go back 
what, 30s, 40s, uh, when they were proposing a, a two-state solution, and every Arab nation that, that was there at the time voted against it, said, no, not going to happen. You know, and the, uh, and the, uh, the Jewish population was basically behind it, saying, yeah, let's do the two-state you know, solution. But, you know, so we've been fighting this. Um, or, or we're seeing the same things over and over again for a long time. So you're right. I mean, those are the, but I think those are the sort of questions that have to be asked rather than, you know, necessarily, okay, well, how long is this operation going to, you know, last this, this time around, right? Because there will be another one. Right. It's like, what are it's the like, other yeah, options yeah. It's like, other than let's yeah. kill each other? Right. It's like, the, it's like the pandemic. We're going to get another pandemic, right? So maybe it would have been smart to demand transparency from China so that we know how to prevent or at least mitigate the next pandemic. But no, we don't do it. You know, we, don't, we, we, we always get stuck in, in the small details. And, and, and not that, again, not that this conflict is a small detail, but you know what I mean. And in terms of we got to solve a bigger problem here. And I think what happens oftentimes is people say, well, it's always been like this. So, geez, you know, we're never going to f- come up with a solution. And, yeah, probably won't. <laughs> I hate to be cynical. I, I, I think the only solution is a strong defense and strong offense. If you got that in place where the other person knows not to mess with you, great. You know, we had a kid mm-hmm. uh, in school, like, you know, in school, the first time somebody tries to bully you and you hit back and then everybody in school sees it and like, you know what? I'm probably not going to fight Vinny moving forward. Yeah. It's as simple as that. I'm yeah. good. I'm not going to fight the guy anymore. Right. There needs to be a little bit of that. But let me, let, me, let me read this story about Trump. Trump slams Netanyahu yeah. as not prepared for Hamas attack, okay? Trump strongly criticized Netanyahu, asserting that Israel was not prepared for the Hamas attack. Uh, he stated he was not prepared and Israel was not prepared. And under Trump, they wouldn't have had to they wouldn't have been, had to be prepared. He also questioned who would have thought their intelligence would have been able to pick this up. He continued. Uh, he revealed this disappointment at Yahoo during his presidency, citing a pivotal moment when Israel backed out of a plan to kill General uh, Soleimani, head of Iran's uh, Quds uh, uh, force. And uh, Trump disclosed we had everything all set to go, and the night before it happened, I got a call that Israel will not be participating in the attack. He emphasized, I'll never forget that Bibi Netanyahu let us down. So, <laughs> I, you know, the most unpredictable things comes out, you know, when he said, how do you process this statement here? <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you process the fact that, you know, we're going to end up with Biden and Trump again as our presidential candidates? That's that's, pay-per-view. Yeah. Pay, pay-per-view. 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 Wow, that's actually really smart. I they mean, can figure out a way to revenue well, this 99 thing. bucks. Yeah. This, yeah. Look, um, uh, I'm at a point where I actually praise Trump on what he's right on, but I'll call Trump out on what I think he's wrong on. I, there, there's certain yeah. people that are, are on one yeah. side or the other, and right. that's how you operate with Trump. Right. But there's something called multilateralism, and there's something called unilateralism. I mean, the definition of unilateralism is I alone can fix it. You're going to fix the world? I'll end yeah. Russia war in one day. I hope you do, buddy. Um, but it, it, an ally like Bibi, who, believe me, was no friend to the Obama, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Obama administration, and Biden was no friend to Bibi. But this is where, you, you know, the, the, the whole personal attacks, and if you're not loyal to him, this is where it kind of yeah. falls it on deaf ears where it's yeah. like, bro, like this ain't about you and Netanyahu or like you alone can fix it. The one thing we need in this world, in this crazy world with North Korea, Iran, Russia, China, all our alliances. Now, 
you want to push away Israel? Not that they would. From mm. America, he's not the sitting president. Although Roseanne thinks he's still the commander, <laughs> still the chief, commander, whatever. In chief. Um, you know, you, <laughs> Europe. You want to you want to drive them away, drive a wedge with them. It's it, to me, it's the, the, the personal, the name calling, the vindictiveness is sort of. That's, well, that's, that's that's the part of yeah. Trump that I that some people are just like ah. Well, well that's that's why he lost cool, the last bro. time. That's why he lost the last time. All these people were tired of the chaos and they were tired of the yeah the, the noise. Uh, despite whether they might have liked the, the policy, so yeah, but that's great. the policies. thing. Yeah, that's that. the policy. Yeah. But most people don't vote yeah. for policies. Right. Quite yeah. frankly, they're not smart enough to vote for policies. Yeah. Right. Like it's in pretty complicated. Situ- in this situation, you know yeah. what? Just silence. You don't you don't have to say anything. You don't need to say anything in this situation. They're dealing with what they're dealing with. The last thing I want is somebody going, hey, if it was me, it's like yeah. nobody, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> but yeah. Trump is yeah. an opportunist kind of like, and he's a brilliant he's marketer wearing, and he's going to take like, this moment listen, to say, you know. By the way, like yeah. Trump, pa, pa, yeah. by the way pa, if Trump was here with this whole conversation that you guys were talking about, yeah. the Gaza and the Palestinians, you know, he would say, why don't we just take them? Bring them to Canada. Give them a big piece of Canada. Because yeah. think about it, Canada's not doing shit. He's like, bring them to Canada. Give them a chunk of Canada. Yeah, Egypt. Why that's not? A, yeah, he would a, a lot of Canada. He'll do shit. Yeah. He would. He yeah. listen. Hey guys, yeah. one word, Canada. By the way, you know, Let you know, you know. I, I just Green visualized Lynch. like Trump. <laughs> Trump at twenty-one years old. Oh my okay? god. If he was in the army, you would say, hey man, you know, in high school, uh, Adam scored sixty-two points in a game. Uh, he would say <laughs> sixty-two points. Yeah. If I played against him, I would have scored 101 points. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. He's Uncle Rico he, from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. He's like, how much yeah. you want to make a bet? I'll throw, throw the ball. That's Donald Trump. Nah, he's Uncle he's, Rico. He's yeah. the guy from Dirk Diggler, Boogie Nights, where it's like, oh. so, so what do you bench? Oh. Oh, oh, 180. Yeah. What do you bench? <laughs> I bench 185. Oh, really? What do you squat? <laughs> I squat about 225. How about you? 230. Oh, my God. He's always going to one up here. That is so. And I mean, I get it. He's trying to say relevant. And he feels like he was cheated. But well, by the way, but but gotta, but let, let me let me give my my uh, uh, part that I relate to him. Okay, the book of the month we have this month is Four Agreements. Okay, I love uh, that. Uh, book. You know what the four Amazing. things are? Dave Morez. Yeah. Wrote it? What's the book about though? It's about so it's a, it's about keep your word, keep, uh, keeping yeah. your keeping your word. Don't like uh, holding grudges. The people. It's four very simple things. I, ha- I have it on my. I have it on my. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, four, Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. Uh, David. Uh, so, the, what are the four agreements? One of them is keep your word. The other one is if you can uh, never uh, self talk negative about yourself or no or other people. Right. Always speak, don't take don't anything personal. Yeah. Yep. Be impeccable with your word. Don't make assumptions. Always do your best. Right. Yeah. Okay. Easy. Easy. You know, <laughs> for the last 14 years, if I worked with anybody, and I, I, I go and look the last 20-some years, okay, and I look at where conflicts has been in my, for me personally, with relationships I've had, with direct reports of people that get paid very well to do their job, you know what's the number one thing? Not 90% of the conflicts, a person didn't keep their word, okay? So now, somebody could say, Who gives, you're such a stickler, man, let it go. People are not perfect. Totally get it. That's the wiring, mm-hmm. okay? Mm. That's the wiring. I am this guy. I've been like this for 44 years. I'm my father's son. My father, God forbid, if you told him a month ago, the next time you come, you're going to bring him a bottle of Tope Chico. Oh, your dad doesn't. If you show up without Tope Chico, do you know what he's gonna do to you all night at dinner? Why did you bring he it? He can never keep his word. No, oh. Vinny never. He told. I asked him for one thing. 
I ask him <laughs> for one, one thing. One, one, one thing. Bottle. All this stuff I do for him for one thing, he doesn't bring me to Pachico. Yeah. You know who Trump is? Netanyahu didn't bring him to Pachico. That's it. You got to okay? bring it. He said, let's go do Hassan Soleimani. By the way, I had another guy. The day before we started the company, it was a guy that said, hey, Pat, you and I are going together. We're going to run this company to get insurance company. You know what he does the night before we're about to start it? Huh. He backs out. For for At my wedding, he's telling everybody we're starting a company. At my wedding, he was one of my groomsmen. And all of a sudden, now I'm backing out because, you know, I'm going to make sure you don't get sued. No, he was afraid. Wow. He was worried. Of course we're going to get sued. Yeah. You're becoming a direct competitor. Yeah. And you got to see what we can do from there. Let's roll, right? And then boom. We have to do what we did. But the, the moral of the story is I understand what he's saying. I get the fact that if behind closed doors, you said you're going to be part of this Hassan Soleimani, so I'm not the only guy that takes it. But this is the part where you got to respect this guy. Can you bring up the one scene, Rob, with uh, Trump sitting there with Schumer and Pelosi? These, these are the kind of things that I value. I love this. This is what I respect. I mean, you can say whatever you want. I respect brass balls when he says, you don't want to take the blame? I'll, I'll take, take the blame. It. I'll shut no the problem. Down. I'll take the blame. Can, can you find this clip, Rob? It's one of the best clips uh, out it, there Pelosi, for leadership Schumer. because he brought the media. And in front of media, he says, I so don't give a shit about you writing negative things about me that I'm going to tell these two people that are chickens. They're worried that they're going to write about them. I'm going to say I shut it down. And then the rest of the world's like, holy shit, this guy actually pulled it off. And he did have yeah. the whole press corps on so, there. So that's the part where I, where I understand. Like, for me, I'm sitting there saying, okay, this is the one. If you can make the – how big is this thing, by the way? How many minutes is it? Now, go, okay, so go on the minutes where you see – if you go on the graph – no, no, no. Go on the graph on the time – right there. You see where the tension is right oh, there. Click right where there. Where the mountain is. Yeah, click right there and press play. <laughs> oh, here we go. Right. Volume. So Dude, let's see if we so can find it on Twitter. It is such no, a powerful oh, clip. Press play. Good as that, if not better. So we've done a lot of work on the wall. A lot of wall is built. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of wall is renovated. We have walls that were in very bad condition that are now in A1 tip-top shape. Uh, and uh, frankly, uh, some wall has been reinforced by our military. Our military has done a fantastic job. So the wall will get built. But we may not, uh, we may not have an agreement today. We probably won't. Uh, but we have an agreement on other things that are really good. Nancy, would you like to say something? Well, thank you, Mr. President, Pat. for the opportunity to meet with you uh, so that we can work together in a bipartisan way uh, to meet the needs of the American people. I think the American people recognize that we must keep government open, that a shutdown is not worth anything. And that okay. we should She's not drunk. It's about th th 20 seconds away. Watch. It's coming. She's drunk, Pat. Trump. You have the White House. You have the Senate. You it's have coming. the House of Representatives. You have the votes. You should pass no, it No, we right don't now. have the votes, Nancy, because in the Senate we need 60 votes. No, no, but in the House. And we don't you have. You could bring it up right now. Yeah, but today. I can't. Excuse me. But I can't get it passed in the House if it's not going to pass in the Senate. I don't want to waste time. Well, you, well, the fact is you can get it started that way. The and House we can get passed very easily. Okay, and we do. But the problem is the Senate, because we need 10 Democrats to vote, yeah, and that's they not won't the vote. Point, Mr. Look at Mike Pence. The point is, is that there are equities to be weighed. And we're here it's to have equities. a conversation in a prayerful way 
so I don't think we should have the debate in front of the she press. Doesn't, he doesn't care. This. But the fact is, the this guy the Chuck, asked the, the entire media to come yeah. in the meeting and set the tone. Yeah. Which I love this. Nobody's done that. We Which administration would do this? We would yeah. do it immediately. We get it passed very easily in the house. No, that's we not would get it, Nancy. I'd have it passed in two seconds. <laughs> it doesn't matter though because we can't get it passed in the Senate because we need ten Democrat votes. Well, that's the problem. Again, let us have our conversation. Then we'll no. meet with the press like, again. But the fact Let us have the conversation, then we'll meet with yeah. the press. What we do. Right. You begin fast forward about 20 seconds, oh, yeah, if Chuck, you can do that. When Chuck she little, says the ownership fast will be forward, on you. Fast forward, because I found the, the clip where he judgment. says it, because it's when him and Schumer are going right. at it. Schumer is looking so I love him. He's about to have a heart attack. Yeah. Well, I found a shorter clip. Really on. really looks like Mr. Burns. I found a shorter clip. But it's important. Chuck, did you want to say something? Here's what I want to say. We have a lot of disagreements here. The Washington Post today gave you a whole lot of Pinocchios because they say you constantly misstate how much the wall is built, how much of the wall is built, and how much is there. But that's not the point here. We have a disagreement about the wall, whether it's effective or not. Not on border security, but on the wall. We do not want to shut down the government. You have called 20 times to shut down the government. You say, I want to shut down the government. We don't. We want to come to an agreement. If we can't come to an agreement, we have pop. solutions that will pass the House and Senate right now and will not shut down the government. And that's what we're urging you to do. Not threaten to shut down the government because you, you let me just finish. Because you can't get the your last way. Time you shut it down, you yeah, let me say something, Mr. President. You just say my way or we'll shut down the government. We have a proposal that Democrats and Republicans <laughs> will support to do a CR that will not shut down the government. We urge you to take it. And if it's not good border security, I it won't take it. It is very good. And if it's security. not good border security, border security I won't security take it. It's what the Because when you look at these numbers of the effectiveness of our border security, and when you look at the job that we're doing you with our military. You just said it is effective. Can I, be, can I tell you something? Yeah, you just said Without it's effective. Without a wall, these are only Areas where you have the walls. We want to do where this. you have walls, Chuck. It's effective. We, where you don't have walls, it is not effective. Cameras on his face, guys. I love it. We've come in here. Mike Pence is sleeping with his eyes open, by the way. Go a little bit more forward. Article one. Mike Pence. Don't have border security, Chuck. We're not going to keep it up. Let me do. We are going to have border security. And it's the same border. You're bragging about this. We can build again. Again. Yes, we do. Good. We do. See, we get along. Thank you, everybody. You know what he did at the end that we missed? He says, I'll take the responsibility. We'll go ahead and shut it down. Forget about it. I'll go ahead and do it. So for me, a part of me is when, when I see him being so maniacal and detailed about remembering. Dude, you... you you know what kind of enemy you don't want to face? The guy that remembers every freaking thing you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know how annoying of an enemy it is? But you know what's a good thing about an enemy like that? When he's on your side. I, 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 when a guy like that is on your side, representing you, complicated personality, they tend to... They tend to be unpredictable, and the enemy doesn't like that. But what about uh, – so he's coming up. It, 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 by all accounts, it looks like he's going to be the nominee, right? So in your opinion, the people that didn't vote for him the last time, which is why he didn't get reelected, are they going to come back in? Or how does the math work this time around? Okay, you want to go through it? Let's go through it. Yeah. Okay. How many people voted for Biden? 81 million? I've been told. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Let me ask, of course, CIA, you for sure know the exact count because you guys counted yes, it. Yes, Mike. Watch yeah. this. Yes. I've got it right here in my yeah. notes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. here's a question for you. Mm -hmm. Out of the 81 
real people, of course, those are real. <laughs> yeah. Out of the 81 million people that voted for Biden, mm. how many of them are still going to vote and how many of them are having buyer's remorse? Well, see, that's and that's that's the reason I asked that question is because I think if there was if there was a the, the dynamic here or the, the wild card is that it's Trump again. Right. I think there's no way the Dems win if it's not Trump running. Right? Because I think people are going to have buyer's remorse with Biden. And, we'll, and, and the tendency is always you get this, this flip-flopping going on. So, but the problem is with Trump, and again, look, I, policies, I like the policies, right? I had no problem with the policies. Actually, question yeah, for you, though. Yeah. Just, let's play yeah. straight up. Mm. It is Trump uh, uh, Biden, okay? Mm. It is Trump Biden. Yeah. How many of the 81 million people that voted for Biden have buyer's remorse and are not going to vote for him again? Yeah, I, not saying they're yeah. going to vote for Trump, but they may go independent, libertarian, or sit this one out. I'm not yeah. saying they're going to vote yeah. Trump. I think the likelihood there is they they sit it out. Yeah, it's a. It, but yeah, I, I have Give no idea. What do you yeah. think? Give or take. This. I mean, listen. No one's. You're not going to be held accountable yeah. to this, and your CIA yeah, friends are going to say. Trump, you know, it's Trump, and so I'd say because of his polarizing abilities, I, I think the number is going to be low. Like I think. What? Yeah, what do you think it is? You know, seven percent. Seven percent is Trump's winning. Yeah, yeah I go at seven percent. If that's well, the case, yeah. it's over. I mean, yeah. just so you know that. So, yeah. but let let's go lower number. Let's say four million. That's five percent. Mm. Okay, it's four point eight percent. If you do four, okay, okay. So we go seventy-seven, seventy-eight million. Okay, fine. Um, of the people, and by the way, I think there's going to be uh, the seven percent is going to be the right number. I think it's going to be around seventy-five million to seventy-seven million votes mm. this time around. I think a lot of people are going to sit this one out. They're not going to yeah. vote for Trump, no, but they're going to sit no. this one out, and they're not going to vote for RFK. Some of the liberals that are yeah. pro-vaccine, they're not going to do RFK, but I think RFK is going to take some from Biden and it's going to take some from Trump. Okay, now of the people who are the middle ones, the people that matter the most, independent ones, right. the, Repu- the 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 the. Libertarians and independents. How many of them who voted against Trump in 2020 and now they're seeing every report came out of that New York Post story, the Twitter would have been left. They know Trump would have won. And if COVID doesn't happen, Trump would have won. Yeah. And now Trump said, by the way, Trump's ad video is going to be very easy. Mm. They said no to the wall as a rapist. Now Biden's doing the wall. They said no to, to, to this. He's doing the wall. They said no to Afghanistan. Followed. They said no to this. And oh, God. The Do animal, you yeah. know that yeah. greatest hits list these marketers are? They're just <laughs> oh, yeah. waiting for yeah. this one. Oh. Now go to the Trump There's a lot camp. of ammunition. So here's the other yeah. part. To the, here's, this is the other technical question we have to answer. How many of the people that are anti-Trump, okay, that are Lincoln Project people, now they're realizing the Lincoln Project, outside of one person who was on here last week, your best friend, Steve Schmidt. Schmidt. My yeah. boy. What's up, Steve? Outside of him, okay, Lincoln Project, John Weaver came out. Yeah. What did John Weaver came up with? Pedophilia. Pedophilia Another taxes. one was a spy for Russia. Russia Another one was all this agent, all this yeah. stuff. Lincoln Project is gone. They are not what they were before. Not this much. They have zero credibility today. So the Rhino story, those guys that were stealing votes away, they're not there. Now, yeah. let's go to the there'll same. Be a, there'll be another grift, though, there will be. that. There's no question area. about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. but but yeah. they don't have the, the same money. credibility, and they're going to say right. the next in the Lincoln Project. That's all what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Then then it becomes the people that are pro DeSantis, or the people that are pro Nikki Haley, or they're pro Mike Pence, his mm-hmm. relative, seven people, or the people that are pro you know uh, uh, Vivek, or the people that are pro whoever those guys are on the stage. Right? How many of them at first they're going to say there's no way I'll ever vote for Trump, but at the end they're going to say shit I'm going to vote for Republican. Okay. Yeah. When you put all of that stuff together, um, if there is no gamification, 
if there is no gamification, if there is gamification, if there is, hey, World War Three is here and we're under attack and we have to make sure we pause election and something like that's not going to be happening. If there is no gamification, I think this guy's got a very clear argument on how to get back in. And I think he's convinced. I think his people are convinced. I think some of the even uh, the people who the, the judicial system or DOJ has not been fair to them, they're not relating to him, saying, look at this. I relate to this guy. Everything they're doing to me, I kind of felt like I went through it, except this guy's a white guy. Yeah. Why are they doing it to him? I think there's a lot of things there that the case could be made on why he could potentially win. Well, I, I mean, yeah, I'd like to. I'd love to see the Republicans win. I'd love to see them take it. I just the the worry that I have is that the polarizing nature of of, uh, mm-hmm. of him as a candidate and how that could. Because again, I, I think I think the Dems have made the same calculation. Their best chance of winning is to to face Trump, and I, you know, I I don't. They, they they tend to have a better machine, mm-hmm. right? Republicans never never underestimate their ability to shoot themselves in the foot and do something stupid. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. I I, I do want to see a a change in the White House though, because oh. I, I can't imagine anybody saying to themselves, you know, I'm going to vote for Biden because I'm okay with Kamala Harris as president of yeah. the United States. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. well, well, yeah. I, yeah. I was just yeah. on I was just in like. Five group chats with cousins and people, and it's it's always the same. You know, I, I ignore them all freaking day because it's Trump, Biden, Biden. How can you? How I, I'm boggled. I asked them, how could you still in your right mind vote? For, are they that dedicated to the party that you you still have to vote for Biden? Nothing is going on. I go, mm. what are you voting for? J- is it just it's not Trump? Like, are you that? Stupid, and you don't get like uh, the house is burning down. But you know what? I'm not. That's I, oh, I it's, it's the only reason Biden won because he wasn't Trump. Yeah, Vinny, it, yeah. I love yeah. you, brother. It yeah. still shocks me that you can't believe that all half the country hates Trump. That, yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. hates that, Trump. No, that I'm just letting you know they're no, never no, going to no, no, vote I, for him. No, I didn't say hates Trump. Yeah. I'm saying right now. I'm saying this election. I'm saying yes. right now. If you can go there and go to the voting booth and circle in Biden with all the shit that's Vinny, happening, you're Vinny, about idiot. 75 about 40, million people will do about 44 percent yeah. to 47 <laughs> percent. Yes, are where he's at. Yeah, it's, I'm letting it like there, it, yeah. it's really there. There, but there is the 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 buyer's remorse vote. I'm yes. telling you, okay. there are a lot of those buyers remorse vote. Uh-huh. Can I give you some like opinion on the numbers? By the way, just the same same reaction. Like, how do you vote for Biden? That's the same. Pe- you have friends like this. Yeah. How do you vote for Trump? Yeah. Yeah. Exact same camp, and yeah. the numbers are very clear. Yeah. So whether Biden had 81 million votes or 77, whatever the hell number he had, whatever. it's almost irrelevant to me because the general. Uh, Electro- the Electoral College determines the president. It's not the uh, total yeah, vote. Yeah, the popular right? vote. Yeah. Not the popular vote. So at the end of the day, we've seen this, okay? It's four or five states in a handful of cities, right, that have that are metaphysically bipolar. Why? Because they voted for Bush, then they voted for Obama, then they voted yeah. for Trump, then they gave Biden a shot. They are more than willing to give somebody a shot. So these are the same guys that are like, yeah, shuffle up and deal. We'll go with Trump again. I, like they, they, they have no allegiance to anybody but themselves. And that's fine. But the, 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 to your point, mm. I agree. If you put a Vivek on stage with Biden blowout, Oh, for a Nikki Haley, you saw the stats. She's five points up. Uh, even DeSantis, I think he would give Trump, uh, give Biden a run for his money, but you're right. They're both hovering in the low 40 yeah. approval rate. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, the, I don't see how they uh, again. And, and people always say, well, the, the Dems are out to get them. They're going to they're going to convict him on something. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, 
the DNC doesn't want to convict him because the DNC wants to run against him, yeah. right? Because the others Especially if are going to roll out weekend right. at Bernie's Biden out oh my there. God. He's the only yeah. guy that's similar in age to him. So he's like, well, he's not that old. He's only a couple of years older than Trump. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, you know what's going to happen <sighs> on, on the first Tuesday of November? Or actually, no, it's probably going to take six weeks after the okay. first Tuesday in November of 2024. Because, you know, nowadays elections, it takes a long time to count. Yeah, it can be, I mean, back in the days, we were such better counters, if oh you think God. about it. Yeah. Yeah. We used yeah. to be able to count to 10, yeah. like in three well, seconds. Te- technology yeah. was we better could, back then. Yeah. Technology is like working backwards, <laughs> yeah. right? With yeah. all the stuff that yeah. we got. But eventually, within six weeks, they're going to count. Okay. And there's going to be a group that's going to be like, here we go again. You know, same guys back up, establishing, running the show. Then there's going to be another group crying, thinking it's the end of the world. Yeah. But one of those two is going to happen. But before that happens, the next 12 months, oh my God. I have a feeling, Buckle up. is going to be <laughs> shit show. craziness. Yeah, yeah shit yeah. show. Craziness on what's going to take show. place. Anyways, gang, yeah. uh, hope you enjoyed today's pod- podcast. Mike Baker's podcast, gang. Mike Baker's got a podcast called The President's Daily Brief. A daily it. podcast. That's available on Spotify, iTunes, and the first TV. We got the link below in the description, in chat box, all over the place. Make sure you go subscribe and uh, listen to the one and only Mike Baker. Take care, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye.